We're potting rift tracks. Rift tracks. Yes, it's me, Jeremy, and uh, with my friend Jesse, and we are potting rift tracks. And today we have got. Oh, we've got a doozy. It's uh, Cats, the newly released Cats riff. Now, this is a film directed by Tom Hooper, starring Francesca Hayward, James Corden, Judi Dench, Jason Derulo, Idris Elba, Jennifer Hudson, Ian McKellen, Taylor Swift, Rebel Wilson, Laurie Davidson, Matt Mel, Matt Talley, Robert Fairchild, Kate Mc Stephen McRae, uh, Ray Winston, Larry and Lauren Boudreaux, who are the twins, Zizi Strollin, Eric Underwood, Melissa Madden Gray, and Freya Rowley. That is a bunch of people just doing craziness. And the, the uh, synopsis is a tribe of cats called the Jellicles must decide yearly which one will ascend to the heavy side layer and come back to a new Jellicle life. Okay, first off, tribe. Is that the best <laughs> word we want to use for them? We should, we I... should, we should say that Jellicle means, uh, what does it mean? Like, it's dear little, I think. Dear it's, little, it's yeah, a, dear little cat. Some... And there's pollicle dog, which is poor little dog. But a cat is not a dog. You need to remember that. Cats are not dogs. Cats are not dogs. Um, but yeah, tribe. Would you go with that word? Uh, conglomeration. <laughs> I don't know what what just random happenstance of of Jellicle cats. And remember, with Andrew Lloyd Webber's definition, all cats are Jellicle cats except for. Uh, Except for probably the most famous of our singers in the bunch. She's she's not a jellical cat. Uh, Jennifer Houston. Yeah. Jennifer <laughs> Hudson. Um, but yeah, the why don't you start with this, Jesse? Okay, so... Um, in my time at university, you know, I, I, I took a Broadway musical class and, you know, I was very fascinated with the subject of just Broadway musicals in general, going from the 20s and entering the era of mega musicals, which is probably the one I'm most familiar with. Mm -hmm. And then we came upon Cats. Cats has always been one of those shows that I just kind of saw and knew it probably wasn't for me. And this is particularly strange, as right now, my own cat is just staring at me. And I should mention, during the movie, was, was purring at my suffering and you know, my partner's suffering. You had never <laughs> seen anything related to cats. So, um, just generally not, not, a, not a Cats the Musical fan. Um, but this is, this is definitely an entertaining watch. For me, Cats... Cats the musical, uh, like the stage musical, I've never seen it live, but it fascinates me because it's so camp, it's so glam, it somehow outglams the Rocky Horror, and, you know, there's just, there's kind of an innocent sensuality about it. I don't really know how to describe that. Like, there are the... It's a, it's a show for all ages, but they're, like, lycra-clad, very well-figured men and women writhing around. It's... It's a weird juxtaposition. And you have these character names that mean nothing, and these... It has no plot. It's a review. That's the thing. Mm -hmm. That's so. Every, everyone was like, "Well, how do you make cats into a movie?" 
I remember that was uh, that was a joke in Six Degrees of Separation, the movie with Will Smith. Um, it, his plan is to turn cats into a movie, and that's the joke that you can't. There has no plot. And interestingly enough, one of the people in that movie is Ian McKellen. <laughs> so. So, um, with regards to the musical. You know, the costuming is amazing. The set design is oh, yeah. a work of art. Yeah. Um, the, I, I feel the, probably the greatest translation from uh, script to screen would be the fact that they do kind of get that sensuality, perhaps even more so than the more innocent nature of the stage musical mm-hmm. uh, when, we, we, when we visit the 2019 movie. So it's interesting to see that. For me, um, again, it's a show I admire for its place in history. It's a show that I admire for the creative efforts behind it. But again, it's just a show with no real plot. <laughs> you know, these absurd names. We've got Rum Tum Tugger. We've got Mr. Mistopheles. We've got all these strange characters um, mm-hmm. whose true names are basic nonsense. Um, yeah. And I know this is comprised from the works of T.S. Eliot, but... Yeah. Especially in that modernist sense, it it's definitely plays on that nonsense. Um, so I think that that's what's made the show a little inaccessible. And the only thing close to a plot is who will, who will be chosen for the new life, which yeah. I, I love that most uh, reviewers of the film simply say, who gets to die? And uh, <laughs> yeah. we, we do... I mean, the, that is a very accurate summation of, of their predicament and, and they all really want to um i guess more of the chance of a new afterlife but the, 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 the film reviewers are on to something um and i guess those are some of my thoughts just stop tidying up a bit of the musical aspect well that's the thing that i wondered about the heavy side layer is that you're going to a new life you're dying but cats have nine lives so is this something like you can only go to the uh, heavy side layer uh, nine times? I was just I was just thinking that that just, never occurred to me. Just regeneration. Um, yeah, I don't know uh, what's they're, going on. They're like the doctor. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm wondering if they just uh, they just turn into a new incarnation, or is it just? Uh, Maybe it's just adding on to those nine lives. Um, we, we don't really get a clear explanation from from this if those nine lives factor in at all. I'd love if it was like the doctor, if like Jennifer Hudson reached a heavy side layer and then transformed into Peter Capaldi. <laughs> w- wearing the same outfit, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would be the greatest. Um, let's see... So, uh, they were talking, you were talking about how they said you can't make cats into a, a film. You can't do it. Um, and I was just looking up some quick trivia and noticed that it was originally meant to be a traditionally animated uh, movie. Yeah. I think by Don Bluth. Oh, it, that would have been lovely to yeah, see, honestly. Because I've seen, th- there's a Lindsay Ellis video about cats, and it's really good. Like, I, I dig Lindsay Ellis. And mm-hmm. uh, she it, it, it's very well done. I suggest anyone who is listening watch it. And, uh, but yeah, she shows some pictures from it, like the, the early designs. And it's very uh, Great Mouse Detective. Very, very much of that style. And they were talking about they're also talking about doing like a Brechtian version, uh, for budgetary reasons and for like stylistic reasons. Like we would have the costumes, but it would be like a city street and a street lamp and like a bar in the background and that's it. Or something something to that effect. Like how they did uh now that was a that was a film musical. I was gonna, I was gonna say Sweeney Todd with, uh, uh, what's her name from Murder She Wrote, but that's Angela Lansbury. But that was a filmed 
performance. So that's what you yeah. And I saw the original artwork for this movie. Um, yeah, how they were going to kind of splice the human and animal features. And it is horrifying. It is like Island of Dr. Moreau. Do you know how Weasel looks in uh, The Suicide Squad? Like how oh, no, that's gro- How grotesque that face is. Like, that it was going to be worse than that. <laughs> but we worse landed... Worse than Ugly Sonic. Yeah, we, we landed on what we landed on. Which is... Uh, cats who are also kind of humans, who have human noses, and who may or may not have buttholes? Oh, no. We're going to open this can of worms. Okay. We we don't have to open the whole... I was going to say we don't have to open the butthole, but... (laughs) (laughs) I, I guess now just tying into the riff, they are not lost on the uh, infamous <laughs> butthole cuts. Um, it is set to exist. And this has such an interesting production because we're talking about digital film distribution. And a lot of Cats was edited. Um, um, so unless you were there on premiere night and you've picked up the, your copy, your Blu-ray or whatever... Um, you you probably know the differences, but for most of us, we don't really see the continuity in terms of what has changed in terms of the um, CGI art style. And I think we're all just remain sickly curious about whether or not this this fabled butthole cut actually exists, which VFXR has confirmed. Uh, but it's still just such an object of curiosity. Um, and then just going back to the humans, they have human faces, but otherwise they're like these furry humanoid figures. They mm-hmm. are, um, they have their mons, they have everything like that. Um, so again, translates the lycra in an interesting way. And well, then I think the closest we, thing, sorry to interrupt. I think the closest thing it looks like in regards to reference is... Henry Hole is the American werewolf. Uh, or not the American werewolf, the werewolf of London. The old the old film by Universal. Henry Hole, he it's a very subtle werewolf makeup, and that's what this looks like, kind of. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry, what were you gonna say? Oh no. Um, and then just commenting on another unfavorable aspect that the tracks mentions where Mike just brings up how at any minute they're going to yiff. And uh, for those of you who are blessedly not aware, that is a uh, furry term for some very, uh, very sensual practices. (laughs) (laughs) Blissfully unaware, I am sorry to have ruined that for you if you have not heard that. No, you've you've opened my world. I now know what giving <laughs> is. <laughs> because, and sorry to go back to the butthole thing, but I when 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 I saw it at uh, when I saw it at when I saw the the real movie, not the riff. Um, it was at our local Alamo Draft House, and uh, it was a cleaned-up cut, like a like a revised cut, and it was already gaining like popularity, like the midnight movie popularity, and uh, the cut, and, and supposedly with a so-called butthole cut, is that. They, when they were doing the special effects, like the skin on the special effects, they needed to cinch it somewhere, like cinch all the scenes, and they chose out out of nowhere, like not well, not uh, 
meaning to, they chose the butt. And then while watching it, they realized, oh, it looks like they all have buttholes. At least that's the story I heard. But it's interesting when you watch um, the Rift Tracks version, uh, or at least the Rift Tracks version that, uh, that usually syncs up with this, um, no, it's, it's, it's the Rift Tracks version, um, there are so many different things that are, that are, you know, you have Judy Dench who has her wedding ring on, like, they don't even put a glove on her. There's a moment during the Rum Tum Tuggers dance scene where a guy in the back is, he's not even finished. He's not even, like, it, it's just a guy in a mocap suit. Like, you can barely see him for just a sec, but he's there. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um... <clears throat> And also, if you notice, when Rebel Wilson says, you know, I can dance that way too, see? And she does the dance. She's talking to no one. She's supposed to be talking to what's-his-name, but he's not there. He, he's just not there. And it creates <laughs> a weird experience. So this is my second time seeing the film. Uh, the first time I was just very much enamored with what's going on. And then I, I still struggle to see some of the scenes because so much of it is just dominated by the Uncanny Valley type uh, CGI. Um, and it's interesting just to see the behind the scenes where you see they have the cat makeup on their human faces and mostly just a green screen suit. Mm -hmm. on um so it's easy to see that people could have uh left out some key characters uh, i find that amusing <laughs> um they could have left out some key details uh one thing that i found funny was um and i i don't know the story behind this but it reminds me of transformers uh three if you recall uh the previous movie uh revenge of the fallen had these two very racially insensitive yeah. characters and then for Transformers 3, they would pay people to uh, to see if they can see them so they can be removed in post, uh, just okay. following the controversy surrounding them. Okay. And I think Bill brings it up where I could see a, uh, if, can I see a butthole? Just looking for the butthole still, um, just mm -hmm. to maybe cash in on that. Uh, so I don't know if they did a similar campaign for cats, but... Um, I wouldn't doubt it, just given some of those very uh, rough edges that this film really has. Um, and it's unfortunate because the animators were only given about, what, I, I believe, um, four to six months to work on the principal film. Yeah, there's, there's an interesting story because at that year's Academy Awards, um, uh... Rebel Wilson and uh, James Corden both came out to present best visual effects. They came out dressed up as Buster for Jones and uh, what's her name? Ginny Any Dots. And uh, the joke was that, like, we all know the importance of good visual effects. And it, to me, it was a shitty joke because you're like, you're throwing the animators under the bus, and I don't like when the stars do that, when they throw any crew members under the bus like that. And the thing is, the guy that headed up the special effects, he tore into them on Twitter. Like, he was cursing them out, he was making fun of them, you know, he was... He was incredibly angry, and I can understand his anger. Like, you know, you you have so long to work on uh, a movie, and it's like, you just have so long, and then it has to go out, 
and it looks like shit because you didn't take long enough. You didn't take the right amount of time. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was kind of an interesting thing that happened. Yeah, I, I know just why people these days say, well, how come the CGI looks so good from, let's say, Jurassic Park, your Lord of the Rings? And why does, I don't know, your latest, like, let's consider some of the more extreme examples, like the end credit scene from Avengers Endgame, which is just an unfinished model, why does it look so crappy? And mm. it's simply just put time. Yeah. They had time back then. They It wasn't overly used. It was just something that they could focus on and really get, get in the fine details so that they hold up to this day. And nowadays, animators are easily working these 90-hour weeks, um, and it's just a very unfortunate uh, cinematic predicament, really. It, it really is, because you have... You have computer animators who do not have a guild. They are not unionized, which is why they're worked so hard. And this wasn't a thing with special effects artists like Tom Savini, Stan Winston, people like that. They were they had a union. They got paid, you know, um, which is why their stuff looks good in movies. Why it still looks good. Practical practical effects just look good because they're practical. But yeah, they you know they don't get enough time. Um, you look at yeah, you look at a lot of stuff and it just looks very choppy, and you're wondering why. Like, why did Jurassic Park look so good and this doesn't? It's like well. They, they slaved over Jurassic Park and then they just needed to get this out super quickly. It's, it reminds me of She-Hulk. Um, how the first trailers, she, her face looks odd. Mm -hmm. And then they, they, there was enough internet hoopla to change it. And her face looked weird because they hadn't finished doing proper rendering yet. Like, it was... It was just... It was unfinished. And it's the same with Ugly Sonic. You know, mm -hmm. you... So, sometimes you need to work... More man hours. Be, be nice if you got paid those man hours. But, you know, when you're kind of caught midway, you don't have enough time. And so even though we can make fun of just uh, the continuity mistakes, uh, I, I think we both come from a place of extreme sympathy for the predicament that the uh, crew was really under. So yes, it is amusing to see that in a final product because it shows that the people behind the final product simply, simply didn't really care to put in the time. And I think that's what would probably make it a fun film for the Midnight Film Circus. And, mm -hmm. Or circuits, I should say. Um, um, but it, it is a very sad state, just considering we had this film start off as an animated production, and then we went through all these different designs, which, you know, knew certainly took time uh, to finally fine-tune this. And then we aligned up with the final product, and we see it's very choppy in a lot of ways. Um, we don't really see much in terms of practicality, and that that lends itself to a bit of that um, distance that that people feel in terms of how this film compares to, let's say, a Broadway production of it. There's uh, there's a part of me that wonders, what if this film went the other way in terms of uh, special effects? Like, instead of, like, the, what we got with the characters' appearances, what if you... Because the characters in the show are already sexualized, so what if you just flipped it and everyone in the... Everyone in the movie looked like a Nico girl from, like, an anime <laughs> convention? 
with like the big paws and like the looked like Felicia from Darkstalkers. Oh, that'd be great. Um, I was actually thinking of the other extreme, um, kind of going more Don Bluth, uh, and particularly inspired by the recent uh, Netflix Sandman uh, episode. Where what if they just did all cats, yeah. actual cats, not not Necco girls, but just cats. Um, that that would be an interesting thing to see, especially since they can capture that um, animal body language in a way that they probably come with a human reference and in a way that would make it for a unique spectacle uh, from that's very different from the Broadway show. Yeah. By the way, I love how they did that with that episode of uh, Sandman, uh, Tale of a Thousand Cats, because the, the joke at the end is, have you tried to get a dozen cats to do anything so it really does make sense that that segment would be animated. Like, you couldn't film that segment <laughs> with all mm-hmm. those cats running around. <laughs> so I, I I really, like, when I saw that it was animated when I was watching and I saw that it was animated, I just big old smile ear to ear. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they invested that time and energy, it was just so great just to do the story justice. And I think that that circles back to the conversation of just having animators do what they need to do and give them the time to do it. Yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have even cared if this was like, like, I don't like, I don't like the new type of animation, like the kind of Pixar DreamWorks type stuff, like the, the 3D stuff. It looks just weird to me. Like, I grew up 2D animation. 3D just, it kind of bugs me and weirds me out. But I would have even accepted that. Like, I think that would have even looked better than what we got. Mm -hmm. Because unfortunately, 2D things are such a hard sell unless you're doing a television show. Um, Yeah. um, So, I... I think it probably would have been a 3D round. It kind of already is, just if we're looking at the film as at the final product, where mm-hmm. we see these 3D environments rendered, there's that 3D lighting, <coughs> just trying to imitate the city streets of uh, London. Mm-hmm. Um, speaking of, I just have to say, that one of the best riffs that got my partner doing their most ugly but charming laugh was... Um, when uh, they're in Trafalgar Square and they say, Simba's been carbonized. Yeah. And that was just a delightful moment. But you see all these environments that are rendered out. Um, so it very likely would have been in, in 3D, um, which, you know, um, personally, I, I don't mind 3D, but um, I, I feel something's lost when you try to imitate too much of life. Uh, with the backgrounds, you can do that, but I think Pixar has smartly done that where they keep characters as caricatures, mm-hmm. where they keep um, yeah. that animated quality so it doesn't go into uncanniness. Uh, so, yes, they can be walking around the most realistic city street, um, but you can tell that the characters involved are animated. They aren't people you'll see. They're exaggerated. They have exaggerate characteristics and you know i think that harkens to the 2d uh style of things where again we're we're very aware that these are exaggerations on life and we want to play it a little larger to life mm-hmm. um there are a lot of there are a lot of riffs that i like in this like just there just when they say like just when they say like oh I wonder if they're going to introduce another character in a dumb song. <laughs> it's, it's just like... Uh, the the one thing I love just right out of the gate is when McCavity appears over his own sign. Like, it's just there, and it's Idris Elba with this intimidating look That's on his face. Normal. And they just they just go... I was on the wire. <laughs> like, just, I, like, just jokes. <laughs> like, 
That's such a good line. It's such a simple line of like, I was on the wire. <laughs> I was greatly offended. Like when their Star Wars riff came on uh, in episode four, um, when Sir Alec, uh, Alec Guinness, uh, Obi-Wan says, uh, or they make him say that um, I will go on to be in Lawrence of Arabia and you will forever be voicing cartoons to Mark Hamill. Yeah. It's, I just was like, mm, because Idris Elba in this is definitely the highlight. Oh, yeah. He, he read the assignment. He knew the assignment better than anyone else in this, and he's just hamming it up. He's having a delightful time. Oh, just yeah. Being... Yeah, like him, Judy Dench, and it, it, Judy Dench, Ian McKellen, even like Taylor Swift and Jason Dorello, they are playing this to the rafters. Like they are, I, I give it, I give them that much that they, like they realize this needs a big performance. And they give a big performance. Like, the fact that Jason Derulo stretches out uh, the line, and there ain't anything anyone can do about that, he stretches it out to, like, a minute long. <laughs> it's just insane. You're like, dude. For me, uh, just... Seeing the riffers baffle that uh, McCavity's um, little meow and McCavity uh, lines that he uses to exit is just such an utter delight. Um, Let's see. um, In terms of body language, I I do feel, um, and I I do feel grateful that the butthole cut was removed for this purpose, but I feel Rebel Wilson was definitely on top of her game in terms of her number. Uh, just exaggerating that feline body language in, in a way that uh, had, had our riffers on edge. <laughs> the thing with her is she, she has this scene with the cockroaches and the mice, and it's just, okay, the, the cockroaches remind me of when Isabella Rossellini on the uh, Sundance channel did those shorts about uh, insects, like the the sex life of insects. Like she would dress up as them and mine making love. And that's what it reminded me of. With the with the little kids as mice, it w- there's something like so eerie about it. Like, did you have to make him kiss? Like, because it makes it seem like she has, like, this dungeon full of children underneath the little cupboard. Mm-hmm. Like she's, like, she's the toy man from Superman. <laughs> I'm just glad they didn't have um, uh, the roaches be the little kids, considering they get eaten throughout oh, this yeah. musical number. Um, I don't know, that, that was definitely a creative choice. Having the, having the mice, and the, and we also have something unprecedented in the cats universe, which is at least a sequence dedicated to an actual human. Yeah, we see a human, which begs a lot of questions. It asks more questions than it answers. Like, do are is this? Are these cats what cats look like in this human universe? Like, because that, that would be weird as shit. I'm just grateful we didn't actually see what the dogs look like. Yeah. The because dog- we do have the presence of a dog. Yeah. What, is, what do they say? Like, he would have looked like Michael Chiklis's head on, <laughs> on a... On a bulldog's body, holding a bone <laughs> yes. in his mouth. It's like, you think that's what everything looks like? <laughs> uh, and just all the all the riffs made at the expense of cats losing dogs winning uh, after this musical. 
Mm-hmm. Fair game, fair game. <laughs> um, let's see other other highlights. Um, my my partner has never seen this, so when we watched it, uh, uh, they were surprised to see the this was the origin of of the memory song. Mm-hmm. You know, which is one of the most prominent show tunes of of the mega musical era, if not musicals in of all time. Yeah. I remember, uh, uh, oh, what? Oh, no. Go I remember uh, when I was a kid and I would stay home from school a lot of times uh, for different reasons. Um, different legit reasons, because uh, I was mm-hmm. just truant. But uh, I would see uh, advertisements for. The 1998 filmed musical version, like you could order it on a, like from the TV, and they would play a bunch of different songs, and I would never really pay attention to it, but the song that always got me, even as a kid, was Mr. Mistopheles, and I had remembered that tune since I was a kid, it wasn't until watching this, I'm like, oh, that's what that's from. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, that is a delightful number. Uh, Mm -hmm. One thing I will say about this movie is it has a lot of musical talents. As you listed, there's already at least two dedicated musicians on board. We have seasoned actors um, with some Mm -hmm. musical theater backgrounds. We have incredible dancers. I mean... The dude that plays Skimbleshanks, like the the tap dance is insane. Yes, that was such a great performance. Um, so we really do have a a lot of good talent attached to it, and even even if it's not my cup of tea, it's something you can easily recognize as being good. You can recognize that these are dedicated artists who are really doing what they know best. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm all for it. I'm, I'm kind of glad that this sort of talent is really lent to this film. Um, in spite of some of its stranger choices. Yeah. Like, you know, I don't think anyone's going to necessarily put cats on their resume, but (laughs) I can see a person looking at Victoria's dance style and thinking, oh, we could use her in something. Like, we could use her in a movie. Because that's like, she's an incredible dancer. And like, other people who don't haven't had a lot of film experience like uh, uh, Mr. Mistopheles. I think he's mostly a stage actor. And the dude that is her kind of guide, like what, what was that character's name? Um, which, which character? The guy? He's, um... he's the gray one. The gray one that kind of introduces everyone. Oh, I'm trying to remember. Um... No, I'm struggling to remember that one. But But, yeah, he was good. And something Mm -hmm. that he does that I love is the song that Judy Dench sings at the end about cats not being dogs. If you look at him, he is reacting like crazy. Like he's, he's doing like facial pantomime. And just reacting like crazy, like you can tell he wants to do an attention pull, and it it worked for me. Like I I was focused on him. To me, um, I, I think the riffers make note of this, but just having Dame Judy Dench stare at you through the screen <laughs> yes. seems so uncanny. It's something that can work on stage. It works wonderfully on stage because it's such an inter- interactive environment. But when you have it, uh, my partner was grateful that we weren't seeing this in a movie theater. But when you have it so prominently on screen, you see her just staring at you. Um, it becomes so uncanny as that's 
something that's only really reserved for in moderation, you know, since we brought up She-Hulk, you know, when she does her fourth wall breaks, they're very brief. You know, we have yeah. characters that are used to that, but they don't speak directly to them, uh, to the audience for too long and really just return back to the immersion of whatever narrative is going on. And we don't have that. We just have Dame Judy Dench staring into our soul. So I miss that attention pool, which is regrettable. Uh, just because, again, it seems like a violation of the of the basic t- uh, screen principles. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting about like fourth wall breaking, because to have it work in a movie, you need to set it up early. Like Deadpool sets it up early, Ferris Bueller sets it up early. Like it, it really is like okay, this co- this character is going to talk to you. Like they 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 mm-hmm. set it up early, but with this, it's just like the very end, and you're like, what 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 me like? And that also brings us to an interesting point. I noticed we just barely talked about Victoria, and Victoria is now the narrative through line for for this movie instead of the audience, which yeah. I find to be a good choice in terms of the language of cinema. But again, it doesn't quite add up with the end. So it could have been. Uh, hypothetically, old Deuteronomy talking to Victoria, um, reminding her that cats are not dogs, mm-hmm. to keep with the, the the narrative structure that they've established. Um, I feel this could have also worked without without Victoria um, uh, in terms of uh, getting into a general audience, but that would also establish early on that the audience is who they're appealing to. Yeah. Um, just kind of in that fourth wall manner. But I'm, I'm glad we have Victoria. But yeah. it's at the end where it seems that narrative conceit was was dropped. Yeah. It, it just creates such a weird effect. I, I'm going to be a little honest here. While I did love the riffs, I, I feel a lot of them were a bit of uh, a low-hanging fruit riffs. Yeah, it. I found myself watching the movie more than listening to the riffs. Like the, I I enjoyed the riffs, but like. This is a movie that everyone has done. Like everyone has seen cats at this point. Everyone has riffed cats with their friends at this point, like in watch parties and stuff like that. It, you know, we have the midnight screenings. It just seems a little too late. Like, I... like I like, I like how with the just the jokes, they do the best movie of the year, the worst movie of the year, and the weirdest movie of the year. That's usually how they go about it. And sometimes they'll go with like, okay, is there a new Star Wars thing? Let's do it. Is there a new Jurassic World thing? Let's do it. Like, just for completion's sake. But I think this one... I, I don't know, like... It's just as fun watching as it, in, as it is listening to their riffs. Mm-hmm. So this riff track is one I enjoyed. Um, I'm pretty sure my partner appreciated not going into Cats um, without the riffs. Uh, because otherwise, they, they probably... They're, they're not a particularly musical uh, fan... And, yeah, I don't think this would be a musical to change their mind. Um, so I, I did like the riffs. They, again, but they were a little low-hanging fruit. These were some similar jokes. Uh, I did like a few of the Andrew Lloyd Webber deep cuts uh, where it's like, okay, now, now, now after making a musical about cats, let's make a musical about roller skating trains or something like that. Yeah. And so I did enjoy those deep cuts, uh, or at least deeper than the – the insights they were giving where it's like, oh, another cat pun. Yeah. Those were funny. And uh, so I, I wouldn't change a thing about the riff, but again, I, I feel that they could have been more done in terms of research, in terms of what they could bring to it, instead of riffing what's already a pretty riffable film and a pretty riffable uh, uh, production, um, yeah. as Cats has definitely had its fair share of riffs throughout its 40-year history. It's almost self-riffing. Do you know what I mean? It elaborates. 
it's a movie where you watch it and you you can already imagine what a person would say like it it almost comes automatically when you watch it like the jokes that you would hear in your head or the jokes that you would come up with like mm-hmm. or just blurt out it it's it it like cuz some films do that like they kind of trigger a thing in your mind where you just become an instant riffer even if you don't say the stuff you're thinking the stuff have you ever heard now, that? I, I I get that instance uh, this this was definitely one of those movies um, I watched it with some friends over the pandemic we were watching it uh, in a zoom setting and we were well it wouldn't be self-riffing we, we were definitely commenting on just everything that was on screen mm-hmm. uh, it's a delightful time and for those of you who don't have that experience um i do recommend this rip tracks just because it, it probably resembles exactly what what your friend groups would, would say um and again I'm, I'm glad this riff exists but i do wish we had a little more of the insightfulness that they usually bring to to their riffs yeah Sometimes the riffs, when they're too, when they're too obvious, it's less fun. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say this is a, uh, uh, this riff isn't fun, or by no means, but it could have been more fun. Yeah. I th- I think. You know, like I said, I actually like this movie in a weird way. So I was focused more on the movie than the riff. But, you know, I, I kind of agree with you. So I'm, I'm glad this riff exists. Um, and I, I did have a fun time with it. I cannot state that enough. Yeah, me too. But, yeah, this was definitely not... This is not going to be in their best of riffs. Uh, there definitely are lines like the wire, Simba, Frozen, and Carbonite. And I know there's quite, uh, there's quite a few good ones they let off during some musical numbers. Um, but a lot of the other ones are a little more obvious, like, oh, my God, the human roaches. Um, just acknowledging the absurdity of what's yeah. going on on screen. And that, that, that can work if it's a lesser-known film. Mm-hmm. where you could probably do that. But this, again, is a musical with a 40-year history and already, what's about three years of notoriety attached to it? Yeah. I think, if they'd done it, I think if they did it earlier, it would have worked a lot better. Like if they'd done it three years ago. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, I think we both dropped everything just to see this riff. Um Mm-hmm. As soon as we found out, oh, it's it's coming out this, uh, like, I think two weeks ago now. Yeah. And, yeah, I'm glad I'm glad we did that. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I do hope that, you know, they could bring in interesting facts like, oh, this could have been anime, oh, this could, you know, just bring in the usual uh, repertoire of information they, they managed to dig up. Yeah. Yeah, I think that would have been better. That said, at the end of the day, I'd still recommend this, especially because, uh, especially if you haven't seen this film, first off, see this film. Mm. Watch it. Just just on your own. Enjoy. Go with the Jellicle Madness. Yes. But... Um, mm-hmm. This could be a fun experience with the riffs. Um, I was definitely laughing quite a bit of the time. But it's a film that, in some ways, maybe doesn't even need that much in terms of riffing because yeah. you can see its obvious failings. Uh, you can see its obvious absurdity. And a lot of that is deliberate and deliberately pulled from the, the stage show. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's. Uh, I think it's a riff. It, 
it is a good riff, but it's almost like they didn't need to do it. Like, I'm glad they did, but they didn't seem to need to. But, yeah, I'm glad they did it. Like, even for something like the Star Wars Holiday Special, the riffs really enhance it, especially oh, yeah. when they yeah. pull up their Wikipedia or, or things like that. The, those are things that, you know, are bad or considered bad, generally considered bad, um, that they've obviously tapped into and enhanced. This one, I didn't get that experience, but again, I still think the world's a much greater place because we now have a cat's riff. Yeah. Yeah. Because I know that other uh, riffers have done cats. Uh, Master Pancake Theater did it. Um, Down in Front uh, did it. Like fan riffs. And they've all been pretty good. So, mm-hmm. you know, a lot the different people can bring to the table. So, is all is that all we have to say about cats? So we've covered, um, we've covered all the interesting little tidbits. I, I don't know if we have anything more to to. Oh, there is one part I I left out. Um, I was looking through the IMDb trivia, and you know, most infamously. We see Ian McKellen just lapping up from a little bowl. Yeah, yeah. Um, apparently, the entire cast went through cat training. Yeah, they I, went through cat training sessions, and it's just kept that vague. Cat training sessions. I, I hope it's discussed a little more in depth on the Blu-rays and things like that. Yeah. But um, um, I would just love to be a fly on the wall mm. and see, you know. Your Idris Elba's, your Ian McKellen's, your Dame Judi Dench's, even your musicians like Jennifer Hudson, Taylor Swift, going through cat motions. Um, I really want to see that. That interests me infinitely more than anything we see on screen, and that is saying something. That that sounds like it would be an awesome watch. I, who even would direct that? Who would be the person in charge of the cats? Um, like a, the movement, cats a movement coach? I don't know. Maybe just get an actual cat. Yeah. Just an actual cat. <laughs> I mean, that could be fun. Yeah. I say staring at my own cat. So I think we can put a pin in this episode right now. I think so. I think so. Um, And remember that cats are definitely not dogs. Yeah, they're not dogs. That was uh, was the riff track of cats. Now and forever. Now and friggin' forever. You'll believe you will unfortunately believe. <laughs>